launching a brand new series uh, this, after, this evening, uh, a four-week series called Me to We. Me to We, God's View of You. And I think this is one of the most important things we could spend our time talking about. Because every single one of us in this room, we have a view of ourselves, and the central question that we're wrestling with is how close is the view you have of you to the view that God has of you? How close is the view that you have of you to the view that God has of you? And what would it look like in this series to change our view of ourselves to the view that God has for us, and what difference would that make in our lives? And so tonight we're talking about our identity. We're talking about who we are as people. We're talking about the central question that every single one of us asks all the time and how we live our lives is actually an indication of how we would answer that question. And so tonight I wanna to ask that question. Who are you? How do you identify yourself? How do you define who you are? What is it that gives you worth, value, and meaning? And how close is that to the identity that God wants to give you? So as we jump in, I want to encourage you to hold your hands open just as a way of saying, God, I'm open to you. And maybe tonight you're going, God, I don't even know if I believe in you. I don't even know if you're real. That's okay. We're really glad you're here. When you hold your hands open, you're just saying, God, if you're real, would you show up? And for those of us that are on a journey of following Jesus, when we hold our hands open, we're just saying, hey, God, I need more of you. I need a better picture of myself. I need more of you and less of me. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing every single one of us here. Lord, thank you that I think tonight you want to say to every single one of us that our worth and our value, that our, that our deepest sense of identity does not come from how well we perform or the things that we're really good at or doesn't even come from the failures or the mistakes or our past but that who we are at our deepest level comes from who you say we are. God, I pray tonight that we would get that. I pray that tonight with whatever view we hold of ourselves that we would let that go and embrace the view that you have of us. That as we move from changing how we think about ourselves in light of how you think about us and as we embrace this idea that we're called to be a community throughout these next four weeks, God, would you do a crazy Holy Spirit work in this place and in our lives? So God, as we open your word, would you comfort, convict, and change us? Would we be different people because we've gathered? In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, flip open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible with you, awesome. Flip it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, we want to encourage you to bring your Bible. We'll buy you a Bible if that will help. We just think you knowing God's word is the most important thing that you could do with your time and with your life. And so get in a Bible. If you don't have one, we got one for you. Find me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're going there, I want to ask you that question again. Who are you? Who, who do you say you are? And by this question, what I mean to say is, where does your worth, value, significance, meaning come from? Oh, students, th this is such a critical question. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the place that our meaning, significance, and value will come from will be how well that person likes us, what that person thinks about us, how well we perform, 
the grades that we get, the trips that we go on, the future jobs that we have, the relationships that we find ourselves in, if we're not careful, our deepest sense of value and worth will come from the events that surround us and not the God who created us. And tonight, we're going after a paradigm shift. I mean, tonight, we're looking at changing literally everything about the way we think. And this couldn't be a more critical time to do this because as a teenager, as a young adult, as an older adult, we're asking this question, who am I? Where does my worth and value come from? You've been sold a lie that that your value comes from your sexuality. It doesn't that I actually wanna talk about an identity that goes even deeper than who you're attracted to. I wanna talk about an identity that goes even deeper than the sport or the class that you're really good at. I wanna talk about an identity that goes deeper than the family you were born into, the city that you come from, than the broken family that you're a part of. I wanna talk about an identity that goes so deep that it has the power to literally change everything. In fact, this identity that we're gonna be talking about has the power to shape and change everything else about your life. This this identity that we're gonna talk about has the power to change the way you think about your sexuality. The identity that we're gonna talk about has the power to change the way you think about relationships, to change the way you think about your future careers or the grades or the things, whatever it may be, because here's what I know to be true. If your identity is in anything other than Christ, it will ultimately enslave you. That if your identity, if you're at the deepest place, who you are is in anything but Jesus, you will ultimately be unsatisfied and it will ultimately become the thing that enslaves you. And you'll think, if I just have that girl, if I just have that guy, if I just have that relationship, if I just join that cause, if I just make that much money, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I will finally feel fulfilled because that's the thing that's going to ultimately give me worth, value, and meaning. And what you will quickly discover is that you will actually be enslaved to it. Something we're going to talk about a little later is you can either spend your life maintaining an identity or you could spend your time, you could spend your life living out the identity you have in Christ. And God created the world and created us in such a way that every other identity other than him will ultimately be the thing that enslaves us. And it breaks God's heart because God's desire is as you're on the football field or as you're achieving or as you're in a relationship that those would be places for outflow of your identity that those would be places where you get to say, in this context, on this field, in this relationship, I get to exist in it in such a way that ultimately brings glory to God, that ultimately reflects God, that ultimately shows everyone that it's all about God and so I can enjoy this thing rather than being enslaved to it because it's where I get my identity. I wonder if I'm starting to strike a chord. Where is your identity right now? Let's read what Paul has to say. Find me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. I want to break up this literally almost word by word because what Paul is going to get to is he's going to walk us through three words that I think describe our new identity. And You're going to talk about this more in your small groups, but your identity in Christ is this that you are a new reconciled child. 
that you are a new reconciled child. Paul right here is going to talk about what it means to be new, but check out what he says. He says, therefore, if anyone, let's stop there for a minute, that whatever it means to have your identity in Christ, that whatever it means to be truly free, whatever it means to truly find your value and your worth, not based on how you look or how you feel or what other people think about you or how well you perform, that whatever that means, it is an invitation that is open to everyone. Paul doesn't say, therefore, if some people who are born in this part of town, or therefore, for those who are really religious, Paul says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone, that means that tonight, the invitation is extended to every single one of you to find your deepest sense of worth and value in your creator, not in what you do. It means this invitation is, so it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what brokenness you've carried. It doesn't matter what sins you have struggled with. It doesn't matter what family you came from. That this invitation to be in Christ, to have a new identity, to be a new reconciled child of God is open to every single one of you. And there's some of you who you came in this room and you don't even know anything about God. This is your very first time even in this kind of context. And I'm so excited that I get to be the one to tell you that you were created by a God who wants you to be, be with him. That you were created, you were handcrafted, you were put together very intentionally by a God who wants to be your everything. Who wants to shape and influence every decision you make, every thought you have, every way you interact, everything you think about yourself. He wants to fill it with truth and his word and his love and his grace and his forgiveness for you. See, this is how amazing this God is, and it's open to anyone. Then Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, th these two words are so powerful, and you'll see them all over the New Testament. And what it, what it means to describe is when, when Paul says in Christ, he means that Christ gave up everything for you, that Christ went all in, that when Christ found himself up on a cross, that was God's way of saying, I am going all in for you that I'm holding nothing back and what I'm inviting you to do is the same. I'm inviting you to hold nothing back. I'm inviting you to go all in and to understand yourself as in Christ. I, I want you to think about this for a second. Would these sentences make sense in your life if you were to be honest about your life? Is your relationship right now in Christ? Is the way you're handling this current conflict in Christ? Is the way you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend are interacting with each other, is that in Christ? Is, is the way that you're existing when nobody else is around, the, the things that tempt you the greatest, are you living your life in a way that is in Christ? You see, in Christ doesn't just mean going to church. It doesn't just mean showing up on a Wednesday night. It's so much deeper than that. Paul is saying, if any person, anywhere, no matter what they've gone through, is in Christ, meaning their entire lives are fully enveloped in God. Like, like there's, no, there's no desire to escape that. It's like a bubble suit. Has anybody ever been inside of a bubble suit? 
It's like you can't get out of the bubble suit. Everything you experience is in light of the bubble suit. You are in this bubble suit. If in the same way you are literally in Christ, that from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you are, now none of us are perfect, right? I mean, I mean we're not, not talking about that. We're talking about this desire for every single part of your life to be about Jesus. Then here's what Paul says is true. The new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. When Paul says new creation, he means that literally Jesus has come inside of you and he's demoed, gutted, and rebuilt you. That he's demoed, gutted, and rebuilt you. Meaning he, he got into you in such a way that he has changed everything about you. And, and this means that, this, means, this is really important to understand, this means that if you were already a really nice person, you're not just gonna continue to be nice when you feel like it, but all of a sudden as Jesus has demoed, gotten into you and as he's, as he's rebuilt you, that all of a sudden your kindness does not just come from how you're feeling that day, but your kindness comes from the reality that you are in Christ. This means that that, that struggle that you used to have, that all your friends did, that everything was just, it was just so normal to do that. That because you are in Christ, because he has rebuilt you, because he's inside of you and he's changing everything about your life, that all of a sudden that struggle, all of a sudden that challenge is now something that you have handed over to him and you're allowing him to change. You see, I, I know that if we were to go around this room and ask everyone to stand up and share things that they've experienced that have just broken them, hurt them, sins they've committed. That if we were to go around this room, we would hear a whole gang of incredible stories of painful brokenness and, and the ways that sin has so gotten a hold of your lives. And, and the truth is that, that when Paul says you are in Christ, he says that you are a new creation who God is changing from the inside out. You see, what do we focus a lot on? Like what's so natural? What's, what's so natural for us to focus on is the outside, right? To say, how can I change what people see to make them think what I want them to think, right? How can I change what people see to make them think what I want them to think? But Jesus' way is so much better. He says, I'm gonna work from the inside out. That, I, that I'm going to become so a part of your life that at a deep level, you're becoming more and more like me. The old has gone and the new is here. So the first thing that you need to understand about your identity, that when you are in Christ is you are brand new. That when God looks at you, he sees new. He doesn't see old, he doesn't say washed up. He doesn't see waste of time, he sees new. Then in another letter, jump back to Romans chapter eight. In another letter, Paul says a really interesting, he kind of continues this metaphor of being new, but then he adds a few different words to it. In Romans chapter eight, verse 14, he says this. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says, those of us that are led by the spirit, we're called children. 
We're called children. There's this, this ancient practice in the first century when Paul was writing this, where whenever a Roman had a child, they had the option of either choosing that child or rejecting that child. That that child, even though that child was birthed to them, it actually didn't belong to them until they did a ceremony and that father chose that kid. And so this Roman, this Roman dude would, would stand before this kid and, and make a judgment and assessment about whether this child was worth keeping or not. And if for any reason, this Roman father could say, I don't want that kid. And they'd take that child, that infant, into a forest and that child would die. When Paul uses this imagery, what he's trying to say is, when your heavenly father looks at you, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you've surrendered your life to him, when he looks at you, he chooses you. That God isn't just stuck with you. This is a really big idea. God is not just stuck with you. And some of you think God is just stuck with you. And he's like, ah, oh, why do I have to deal with that person? That's not how God thinks about you. And when God looks at you, it says he chooses you and he adopts you. And all of us got baggage and all of us got problems and all of us have brokenness. But when God chooses us, it makes all the difference in the world. I stumbled upon this video a few years ago about adoption, about this couple that chooses to adopt kids that most people wouldn't want. And I want you to listen to how this family describes what adoption is like for them. And I want you to think about it in terms of how God chooses to adopt us. So let's watch this video together. My favorite quote of all time was our furnace repair man comes into the house, stops dead in his tracks and says, this looks like some kind of United Nations meeting. Bangalore, India. Connecticut. And I was born in Romania. Ethiopia. Which is in Africa. In China. <laughs> Sharon is the gas pedal, and I am the brakes. Over and over she'll say, I found this child who needs X and Y and Z, and all we'd have to do is fly over the ocean, get funding, connect the dot to here, and it'd be done. We're such victims of our culture because our culture tells us your kids have to look perfect and be in all the perfect schools and you can't do that with a big family, but if you just concentrate on what's important, the rest will follow. People discouraged us. They thought we were gonna ruin our lives by taking all these special kids and they said, you don't know what to do. And it's true that we had no experience and we didn't really know how to raise them, but you see what happens with unconditional love. You give a person unconditional love and they, they blossom. I feel like having these kids has really helped us find our life, find our meaning, find our purpose.
It took me decades to figure this out. But there's no physical thing that you can buy that's actually gonna give you true peace and happiness. And the pure joy that will come from a, a rescue and a ransom of a child's life is probably the most satisfying thing you can imagine. We talk about adoption. We tell them they're adopted and we kind of tell them, you know, being born into a family, you don't even decide that. It kind of happens biologically, but when you're adopted, your parents looked out at the whole world and picked you. You think that they don't really know the gravity of them being rescued or saved. Then you'll see them in an external setting, like one of them is in front of 300 people last Friday night, and he tells people that he probably wouldn't be alive if he hadn't been adopted by his family. Those are the, like the goosebump moments when you go, he's got it. at the time when I was born, um, when, you were, when you were born with a, a deformity, quote, quote, it, um, it was considered a curse by God. I was um, kind of distanced and not treated right and kind of not really getting any care that a, a normal baby should, which is why when I was one and a half years old, I weighed nine pounds. It was rough in the, in the first year of my life, but I lived. But no matter where you were before, it's like where you can be now, your past doesn't define that. This family has proven that. It's just like you have a dying boy from Romania or starving kids from Africa, and you bring them to a, a place where they can be, I guess, human to the fullest, and that, that's, that's a generous generous thing. Family is everything. Family's fun. <laughs> Interesting. Because <laughs> family is just people you can be a fool around and they'll still love you. Awesome. No, should I do the denning face? Family is something that I can count on. <laughs> Family is adoption. When I when I saw that video. 
to me, it was like this beautiful picture. It, it, it like put, put images to this truth that's spoken about in scripture. That on our own, we're broken. On our own, we're destined for death. On our own, there's no hope. In fact, this is what Paul means when he says that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption. You see, the, the, the spirit of finding our identity out there in the world with whatever we do or whoever we want to sleep with or whatever we're good at, that that will ultimately bring you to a place of slavery, not a place of freedom. You, you, you've got to answer a question tonight, and this is where I'm going to let you head off into your groups, because you've got to answer a question tonight, that are you a slave or are you a child? That are you enslaved to your identity, that, that this thing that right now gives you your worth, your value, and meaning, if it's anything but Christ, then you're just a slave to it. But there's another way. There's another option. There's another opportunity. And it's to not be a slave to the things that you're good at or to the relationships you're in or to the identity that you want other people to think about you, but instead to know that like those amazing, beautiful kids know, that it doesn't matter what the world says about them, they got a mom and a dad who love them and who chose them. And it doesn't matter what people say about you, It doesn't matter whether you're the star of your team and tomorrow you break both legs and you can never play again, that your dad, your heavenly father loves you and chose you. And then the last verse I'll read is back to 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 18 says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled just means to be brought back at a really high cost. And so what's your identity as a, as a follower of Jesus? It's this, that you are new. You are brand new in God's eyes. That you are reconciled, that you've been brought back to God at a high cost. It cost him his life, but he brought you back. And that when he looks at you, he doesn't see a slave he sees a child. That you, if you are in Christ, you are a new reconciled child. As you head into your small groups, maybe some of you need to wrestle with, am I in a relationship with Christ right now? Do I know Jesus? And and what would it look like to become a new reconciled child? For those of you that you are that, but you're not living in that, you're going to wrestle with that in your small groups. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these students. And God, I just ask that as we jump into small groups now and and process some of what we've been thinking about and, and talking about this evening, that God, you would make it crystal clear where we stand and what it is that needs to happen to get us closer to truly being the new reconciled child that you want us to be. God, I pray that your view of me would become more powerful than anyone else's view of me. So God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.